Hey everyone, Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from beautiful Philadelphia, we've got Becca Shea. How are you doing today, Becca? I am great. It's a beautiful day here. That's wonderful. It's a beautiful day here in sunny Kamloops, BC as well. So Becca is a very, has a very interesting background, very experienced real estate entrepreneur, even though she started relatively not that long ago, 2013, I believe, is when you first mm-hmm. things yep. into here. But she's done a phenomenal volume of deals between rehab deals or what some people call flips or buy, fix, and sells. I think she's done somewhere around 60 of those and yep. 120 assignments. She's definitely got a lot of experience. So, Becca, before we, and, and a very interesting background, which we'll talk about in a second, but First things first, can you kind of, for those people that aren't familiar with it, define what is what you call rehabbing and what is wholesaling? What does that actually mean? Yes. So I, first off, I'm I'm a little bit of a word nerd, right? There's power in words. And I found when I first got started, I was a rehabber. I'm a rehabber at heart, fix and flipper. I would say I'm flipping houses. And I couldn't figure out why sometimes people would get confused about what that meant. And what I came to realize is that people who assign deals, wholesalers, when they say that they also say that they're flippers because they're flipping a contract. And so I just decided, especially as we got into both worlds, that I wanted to get really clear on what, what I was talking about. So I'll, I'll reference wholesalers, meaning assigning contracts versus rehabbers who are people who fix up, flip, you know, resell the properties for a profit. All right, perfect. So when it comes to rehabbing, what do you think are like the biggest benefits to that strategy? What do you like the most about it? I like the most about it, the project management side, really the the puzzle pieces and the before and afters. So that is who I am at my heart. And after doing a whole bunch of investing, I would say to your audience that I have noticed there's a tendency of what type of people do better in which arena. And specifically, rehabbers tend to have this project management bent. You see a lot of former accountants, engineers, you know, contractors who, who do really well in the rehabbing space. And I think it's because they like breaking things down into the process. Um, and then, yeah, and then managing the, the process, right? Yeah. And wholesalers, as people who sign deals, they tend to love the art of the deal right? Like they, they get jazzed up about, about wheeling and dealing. And we call it in Philly, they say slinging deals, you know, and that like the sales type of thing. So I personally love the rehabbing side of things that taking something that other people would, would view as just broken down and worthless and being able to see the potential in it and then unlock that. Right. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it kind of ties into your background because you were you were a military person. You were in the Navy for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about that and how, how you transitioned from that into real estate. Well, when I was young, I thought I wanted to be a pilot. I mean, I did. I wanted to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took the best path there. I did ROTC and then I joined the U.S. Navy and I was a military officer. But unfortunately, my eyesight disqualified me from flying. A lot of times they can correct it with surgery. Mine wasn't correctable. And you know, what's funny thing about dreams is they evolve with you. So I had had this dream like six or seven years previous. By the time I got there to flight school, I was kind of realizing the reality of it and thinking, is this really what I want to do for the next 10 or 15 years? So I ended up getting out and I did mechanical engineering, which is what my background is for about seven years. So four years military, seven years mechanical engineering. And then 
had my third daughter and said, you know, I want to try this, this house flipping thing. I don't want to travel as much. That was really where it came from. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. So interesting, interesting path. And it goes to show why you're so good at doing rehabbing because you've got that analytical background. So you've also done a lot of wholesale deals. So can you explain to us how that works and and what do you think are the big benefits for people that like to do wholesaling? So wholesaling to me is a sales and marketing company Mm -hmm. and rehabbing is more like a construction and project management company. So it starts with marketing. That's the first thing is being able to figure out who do you want to talk to and why would they want to talk to you? I think a lot of people get into marketing. I see this with new wholesalers. They often talk about them like, you know, me, 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 I buy houses. I fix houses. I like the sellers don't care. They want to know how are you going to make their lives better? So it it starts with the marketing piece and then it goes into the sales. And to me, sales is not, I don't personally subscribe to the Grant Cardone methodology of like close, close, close. I think sales in this case is really figuring out what their problem is and solving that problem so that it's a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. I like it. So what is it about wholesaling that people like so much as an investment strategy, as a real estate strategy? It's fast. (laughs) And if you're good at making deals and you recognize your value, I mean, there is a lot of money to be made and especially just that, that problem solving, right? You're solving a problem for the sellers and then you're solving a problem for the rehabbers because the rehabbers don't really want to do marketing and sales. They just want to fix things, get into the next project, know the numbers work. So a wholesaler is really providing the solution to the market that's not, it's not out there. Like realtors don't want to deal with ugly houses. They just try to offload them as fast as possible. And with wholesaling, you can, you can provide the solution and get paid for it in a pretty quick manner. And you don't have to spend money on marketing. Most wholesalers do, but there's a lot of ways that you could really spend $0, just your time and your skill set, and make money. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of people. Excellent. I'm going to ask you a few questions about that in a second. But first of all, Becca, so it sounds to me like you were doing both rehabbing and wholesaling at the same time. Is that correct? Correct. So was it that the fact that you'd really kind of dialed it in and really got your marketing machine working well, so you had this you know, pretty good inflow of, of prospective deals, some you would hold on to, your, to for yourself and do flips with or do rehabs with, others you would pass on to other investors? Is that pretty much how it worked? Yeah, I started wholesaling because I just wanted to market for my own rehabs. I was spending so much time trying to find my next deal. And so that's how it started. And then... I saw some wholesalers who are just crushing it at scale and I got a little bit of ego and I was like, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and what I figured out after 12 months is that I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> that was not my passion. <laughs> just because they're doing it doesn't mean I have to do it. Okay. So you, so you did it for a while, but then you stopped doing it. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how long were you kind of actively doing the wholesaling stuff? About four years. So 2016, just right around the end of 2019. So Yes, that's four years, <laughs> January to December. <laughs> and are you are you now primarily focused on doing rehabs? Or I know you're you're working full time with with the company that you're with. Yeah. So I, when I wanted to start scaling my business, I joined a mastermind, mm-hmm. which is a really cool way to get around people doing more. You know, to get out of your just your local market and be exposed to people doing stuff on a greater scale. And that's what opened up my mind to wholesaling and kind of showed me the back end systems. 
So I did that. I grew my company. And what I found through that, I started rehabbing in 2013. So it was really close to a seven-year journey of rehabbing. What I found through the journey was that I like rehabbing. I'm good at it. I don't like wholesaling, but I'm really good at the marketing and the marketing analytics. So I, I ended up doing some consulting for other people and just digging into their KPIs. Like, hey, you're spending $5,000 to get a contract. On average, most other people spend $3,000 to get a contract. What can we do to, to dial that in, right? What's not working? Mm-hmm. And that was where I moved kind of out of the active wholesaling into helping other people with marketing. And then I uh, came aboard Seven Figure Flipping, which is the mastermind, to run these accountability groups, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> right. Okay. But, well, listen, if you don't mind, Becca, and we'll talk about Seven Figure Flipping in a, in a few minutes, but what are some of your, what would be some of your tips for relatively new real estate investors who may or may not want to wholesale or flip, but they are looking for, you know, direct to owner type deals. So what are some suggestions that you have for, you know, you talked about some low cost ways of finding deals. What What's working now? First, I would say you have to pay attention to the type of market you live in. One of the things that I've noticed is that the urban seller versus the suburban or the rural seller are different animals. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have different motivations. People who live in, an, so for example, bandit signs, those signs on the side of the road. Yep. They work really well in my rural, suburban, like, but more rural market. And in cities, they don't really work at all. And I think what happens is in the rural market, there's a little bit of distrust in the seller. They're, you know, they want to deal with locals. They've probably lived here their whole lives. So if they see a sign on the side of their back road, they think this company's local. Versus if you put up bandit signs on telephone poles in the city, number one, a lot of city properties are rentals. So you might not even get in front of the owner of that of the properties you're targeting. And number two, it just gets lost in the noise of all the other, you know, visual distractions in the city. So that's to me, that's the one thing is to think about where you're at and who you're really trying to get in front of. And then same thing with like direct mail. You know, direct mail consistently works, but you have to tweak it. Like you have to pay attention to what's happening and think about who you're trying to mail to, what types of properties do you want? And then if you don't have any money, I always recommend that people start building relationships with like probate attorneys and real estate agents and just be top other wholesalers, right? I tell a lot of rehabbers, they think, oh, I got to do marketing to find my deals, which is exactly what I thought. And I say, you don't really need to get on every wholesaler's list you can find and just be top of mind because you know what a wholesaler wants more than like the highest assignment fee ever. They want a buyer that they know is going to close. So just, just work that relationship and prove that you're the buyer that's going to close. That's your marketing. Yeah, because basically, even if you're paying an assignment fee of whatever, several thousand dollars, that's a shortcut. You don't have to do all that legwork. You don't have to do all that marketing. <laughs> you don't have no. to be post putting up the bandit signs or anything like that. That is your marketing fee. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a shortcut too. All right, makes sense. Now, Becca, to do 60 rehab deals... I'm thinking that's probably fairly capital intensive. Mm-hmm. So did you save up a ton of money from your from your military and your engineering career and, and self-finance everything? Or or have you worked with investors? Have you raised capital? What what do you do for your capital for these kind of deals? So I started with I partnered with someone. I had 60 grand, they had 60 grand. We knew our purchase plus renovation would be somewhere around that. So we partnered 50-50. 
And then once we did it, I reached out to friends and family. And I basically said, you know who I am. I did a rehab. So like proof of concept, did this rehab. And then I said, I'm looking for people to lend. At the time I I sent a letter, I said, I'm looking for $10,000 minimum on a one year note. I'll pay you, I think 12% interest. And I said, the first five people that say yes, I'll pay you 13% interest. And so I basically raised money, you know, over a year from friends and family at 12 and 13% interest. And that worked. And then I grew that. But then as I started doing more properties simultaneously, I started working with hard money lenders. And the way I looked at it always is just, does the cost of the interest make sense in the price of the deal? So if I'm going to make 30 or 35,000 on this, but I have to pay $10,000 in interest, I'm still making, you know, 20, 25,000. Okay. That makes sense. And so I really worked with all of them. At this point, I work mainly with private money lenders. There's a lot of people have money just sitting around making three, four, 5% or less. Right. And they like the idea of, especially if you can secure it to your project. So that was my next question. So how do you secure their, what's the collateral for their money? How, how are they secured typically? Well, now I'm at the point where if I'm borrowing money from a private lender on a property, they're going to cover purchase plus renovation. Typically somewhere around 10% is what I pay, although I have some at 7 and 8%. And we secure it with a mortgage to the property at closing so that when I finish fixing it and then basically any money that's left over, all the rehab money, the title company will wire back to me. And so I put it into an operating account. Mm-hmm. I actually kept a separate construction account. So I would know that this is just for repairs. And then at closing, when I sell the property, my lender gets made whole. They get their money plus their interest back. I get the leftovers. Nice. So when you say they're your, your lenders these days, so they're putting up all of the all of the capital to buy and to renovate the property. So just give us an idea. What's the kind of typical price point for the kind of properties that you're buying in your area? Well, I'd tell all rehabbers that the sweet spot is that first time home buyer. So for me, in one of my counties, it's about 185,000 all the way up to like 225. Mm -hmm. So I'm typically borrowing around 110 to $150,000 on the project to cover both the purchase and the renovation. And ideally you're getting that from one lender, is that correct? Correct. So these are, and you're working with private money lenders, not hard money lenders at the moment, is that correct? Correct. So it's private individuals that that Mm -hmm. have money sitting in whatever it is. Are they able to use their IRAs for this kind of project? Sure, I I actually helped a couple people set up self-directed IRAs. I myself have a self-directed IRA that I lend out. I used equity trust for a long time. I now use, some people I know use Advanta IRA. I use Plan. Do your research on them. <laughs> exactly. But, and here in Canada, that's the same thing as a self-directed RRSP. So uh, different, different, like I'm just telling the audience, right? <laughs> yeah, no. It's, yeah. So it's the same concept, you guys. It definitely works in Canada as well. I just wanted to reconfirm with Becca. Very, very cool. So Becca, time flies. I told you it would when we're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, And why don't you tell us just a little bit about the company that you're working with, Seven Figure Flipping, and how people can get a hold of you if they'd like more information. Sure. I'll keep this simple. Seven Figure Flipping is a mastermind which helps people grow their businesses, either starting out or then a higher level when you've hit the ceiling. But we have kind of a flagship seminar once a year in October. This year it's in Orlando. It's going to be awesome. There's a lazy river at the resort. So if you're interested in learning more, I would say go to fliphackinglive.com. That's 
the kind of a great step in and it's going to be a fun event that that would be my recommendation. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, everybody take care and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.